Our New Testament reading is from John 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we um, come before your word this morning um, to hear these words of the resurrection of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would allow us um, to come and to see him, the risen Lord. Um, I pray that you would allow us to know what that means for us. Um, I pray that you would, even in the midst of this, that you would wipe away our own tears. Um, As we see him for what he is, Father, we need your spirit to work in order to do that. So we ask that your spirit would be at work this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you don't, are probably not very familiar with the name Kate Bowler. Uh, She's an academic, a historian at Duke University. And um, a few years ago, she wrote a book that... Became, it kind of put her on the map because um, she was pretty young when she wrote it and she had been researching and studying the history of the prosperity gospel movement in America. If you don't know what the prosperity gospel is, it, it, in, a, in a very crude nutshell, it basically means that your wealth and your health grows in proportion to your faith. Um, probably not something the first followers of Jesus um, believed to be true, and neither do we. And so she wrote a history um, of that movement, and it kind of brought her name to the surface. And so at 35 years old, 
a lot of things were falling into place in her life pretty neatly and pretty quickly. She had, um, you know, far surpassed probably what a lot of her peers in her realm had done. She had married her high school sweetheart, and a few years later, she had a son who was healthy and wonderful. And then she went in to the doctor one day just to check on some pain that she was having in her stomach. And she left that appointment with a diagnosis of a rare form of stage four colon cancer. And her, her most recent book that I actually have not read is sort of a memoir of the last two years of processing um, those things opposed to one another, this history that she studied and also the reality of what she's experiencing now. And I read a review of that book this week, and some of the words of the reviewers just stuck in my mind. He said this. He said, there's more to this book than the opportunity to deepen your empathy. It is a window into the thoughts, longings, and observations of an exceptionally articulate observer facing down one of the most unexceptional of human problems. I don't mean terminal cancer, of course, or the prospect of leaving a toddler and a husband alone at such an early age. I mean the problem of death itself, which we have minimized and avoided far too often for far too long. To read this book is to feel something of the offensiveness of death. This woman should not be mortal. How do we make sense of the fact that she is? How do we cope with the fact that we are too? You may be thinking this morning, Tim, this is not the most uplifting opening Easter sermon illustration that I've ever heard, right? But I think it's incredibly important because I think that what we celebrate this morning What we got up this morning to come and to sing about and to hear about is what presses into this very question. To consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is to consider the unexceptional and yet often unspoken of reality that each of us inevitably faces. And I think that explains some of the the urgency that you hear in John as he writes this gospel. I mean, it, we, when we look at the way that John wrote this, this gospel, this one who calls himself, we believe, the beloved, the one who Jesus loved, we, we see the urgency in him. And right at the beginning of the gospel, back if you think, if you've been with us for a year and a half, I can't believe it's been that long, but when we started looking at this gospel, you remember that John He doesn't do all the normal things that the other gospel writers do. He doesn't tell us about the birth of Jesus. He doesn't give these long narratives um, about what happened during that time. Instead, John just erupts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Then he begins to talk about the fact that the light has broken into the darkness. And then he reveals to us this guy named John the Baptist, this weird guy who's a voice crying in the wilderness, and that voice begins to cry out, Behold, as he looks at Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And what happens from that point forward is that people start to see and engage with Jesus. And when they see and engage with Jesus, what do they do? They run back 
And they start to tell people and they grab people and they say these words, come and see. Come and see. You have got to see this man. You have got to come and see. And this is what it's building. This is what John has been building toward is this morning where we find Mary Magdalene coming to see the place where Jesus had been buried. And we have Peter and presumably John himself racing towards this tomb. And the thing that's compelling them, maybe subconsciously, are these questions in their mind. Is this the one? Is this the one who is going to address my pain? Is this the one who is going to address sin and death? Is this the one who is going to end our tears? Is this the one that we have been seeking? Come and see. And strangely enough, these are the very questions that Jesus asks back to Mary in this passage. He asks these questions, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? And those are the questions I want us to think about this morning for a few minutes. Why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? This passage opens with Mary coming to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week while it was still dark. I think John mentions that for a reason because darkness and light is a big deal in his gospel. Um, You remember Nicodemus comes in the dark looking for the light when he goes to talk to Jesus. And here is Mary coming in the dark to see where Jesus was laid and she is looking for light. And she gets there and the stone is pushed away. The grave is open. I've never been um, in a cemetery where I saw an open grave and didn't feel like running the other way. And that's what she feels like too. She gets there and it's open and so she, turn, she doesn't know what else to do and she turns around and she runs back and she gets Peter and she gets this other disciple who many believe is John and they turn and they begin to run towards the tomb because what Mary is thinking is somebody has stolen Jesus' body. Somebody's moved his body to another place. They begin to run to the tomb. They're racing to the tomb. And if this is John, John is is in a little bit better shape than Peter. And he begins to pull ahead. And he gets to the tomb first. And you can almost see him sort of getting to an abrupt stop and then just peering in. And all he sees is these linen cloths, these burial cloths lying where Jesus had been laid. And then Peter comes chugging up behind and just keeps going. Like just goes straight into the tomb in classic Peter fashion. And John follows him down into the tomb. And if this is John, what he is saying is that when he got into the tomb and he looked at this scene, what did he do? He saw and he believed is what he says. Come and see. Well, he gets there and he saw and he believed. And this is, this is what John is telling you. And this is what he's wanted from us the whole time he writes this gospel. That he says, I wrote this to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you might have what? Life in his name. And at this moment, he sees this scene. He takes in this. And it says before this, they had not computed the fact that Jesus needed to rise again. But everything begins to tumble into place for him, but they don't know what to do next. I wouldn't have known what to do next either, and so they just go home. They just return back to their houses. But Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, 
Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, not Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus, but Mary, the one who had formerly been possessed by demons. Mary can't shake it. And she stands outside that tomb, and she's not leaving. She stands there, and she begins to weep bitterly until finally she works up the nerve to look in herself. And when she looks into this tomb, she sees two angels sitting, dressed in white. And one is at the head, where Jesus' head laid, and one's at the feet. I think it looks sort of like maybe John's painting the picture of a mercy seat. And she looks in, and they say these words to her. Woman, why are you weeping? Her response, I think she blurts out. I mean, I can paraphrase, I think, her response. And and she says, basically, I'm confused. I'm heartbroken. I'm maybe a little bit angry. I don't know where he is. They've taken him away. You can hear it and feel it in her voice. And... She's still not considering the other options. But before she can answer, really, before they can respond to her, she senses that somebody's behind her. And so she turns around, and Jesus is standing right behind her. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's still dark. Maybe it's because his resurrected body looks different. We're not told. We don't know. But we do know what he says. And he says to her and asks her the same question that the angels just asked her. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Why does Jesus ask that question? I mean, you think about this. These are the first words of the second person of the Trinity after he has risen from the dead, these are the first words out of his mouth. Why are you weeping? And I think that what Jesus is saying is, I want you to know, I see your grief. I see it. And that he's come to address that grief and that he has died and risen again to take away those tears that he, Jesus, has wept with her before that he's tasted her pain, that he knows why she's weeping because she's in, the, she's in the grip of despair and confusion and loneliness. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, on Easter morning, this is where we find Mary. We find Mary weeping outside of the tomb of Jesus on the morning of the resurrection. And let's be honest for just a minute, that might be where many of us find ourselves this morning too. I mean, I know we, you know, we, we maybe got dressed up a little bit more this morning and we kind of, because we wanted to get that family picture and we gathered them together because we got to, you know, put one on social media later in the day and Easter is all, you know, pastels and tulips and flowers and all of these things, but those things do not hide the fact that some of us are bitterly weeping. They don't hide the fact that this week I have wept with some of you in this room. They don't hide the fact that this week I have wept over my own broken self. That they don't hide the fact that many of us this week have hopefully wept over the hellacious mess and brokenness of this world. And here's what I want you to see. This is what this is the scene I want to have etched in our minds as we leave this morning that the first 
act of the resurrected Lord of the heavens and earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the first act of the resurrection is Jesus stepping towards a weeping, formerly demon-possessed woman in her wild, unimaginable grief. That's the first picture we see. Allow that to sink in just a little bit. You've maybe read that passage before. You're familiar with Easter sermons, maybe. And you pass over the fact that the first sound of the resurrection is Jesus stepping towards a woman in her grief, in her pain, in her misery. Jesus, you know, he doesn't prance. I mean, I would think after rising from the dead, Jesus prances back into the temple for this elaborate, I told you so, right? He doesn't swagger towards those who just a few days ago were foaming at the mouth as they cried out, crucify him. He doesn't beckon a crowd of his former most ardent followers and throw a celebration party. He doesn't seek vengeance on those who drove nails into his hands. No, his first move is toward this woman who have tasted of his love and who has also tasted of the bitterness of this life. And he moves towards her. Because you see where grief is at its worst is also where hope can shine most vividly and most brightly. Jesus doesn't really give her a chance to respond to that question of why you're weeping because he follows it up with another question immediately. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He knows why she's weeping, but our tears, they, our tears lead us somewhere, right? Our tears take us somewhere, and they usually take us to the place where we think we can find solace for the, our grief, where we can find solace for our tears. And so Jesus asks, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Who can stop your weeping? Who can, who can address your tears? Is there somebody who can apply a balm to this deep ache that I see in you? And I think we can ask ourselves the same question this morning. If it's true what I said that some of you have wept bitterly this week, maybe not on the outside, but maybe on the inside that you feel grief and you feel pain and you feel the sickness and the tiredness of your own sin. Whom are you seeking? Where do you go with that? What do you think is going to take it away? Um, Who did you think that you would find here this morning? Why did you come to this place this morning? Whom are you seeking? And for some of us, you know, we seek that solace maybe in another person and we, we, we think maybe my spouse can carry that load. Maybe they can address the deep pain and the deep hurt and the deep grief that my sin and the sin of this world has caused inside of me. And you know what? They can't even begin to. Maybe my children can. No. Maybe that new job that I just got that I'm really excited about, maybe that is going to make it go away. It's not. Maybe all the money in the world... Nope, it'll just make the tears flow a lot more. And so Jesus, just like he approached this woman at the well, back in John chapter 4, you remember? And he has this conversation with her, and it leaves her in the place where she's confused, and she says to Jesus, I don't know the answers to these questions, but when the Messiah comes, he'll answer all things. And he says to her, 
I who am speaking to you am he. And in the same way, Jesus reveals himself in this passage to Mary. And how does he do it? He simply says her name, Mary. Mary. He simply speaks her name. And and maybe what's going through her mind at that point, I don't know what's going through her mind, but she has heard him say most likely the words, I am the good shepherd, the sheep hear my voice, and I call my own sheep by name. Mary, I have you engraved on the palms of my hand. Why is Jesus the one that she's seeking? Why is Jesus the one that you're seeking even now? Because Jesus is the only one with the ability to see the deep darkness of your grief and sin and fear and shame and actually address it. What do I mean? Scripture says the wages of sin is death. That's the ache that we feel. But the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And friends, this is what John has been wanting you to come and see. Come and see this. This is the one you've been seeking. He's risen and he's seated at this very moment at the right hand of the Father. And he has made complete and perfect satisfaction for your sins this morning. He's seen every bit of you. He's seen all of the dirt. He's seen all of the ugliness. And yet, for you are the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross, despising the shame. Can you imagine that Jesus, the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth, the one who you have offended most deeply and I have offended most deeply, has seen everything about you, and yet for joy set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. For you, he's trampled the power of sin and death and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And friends, this risen Jesus, right now, he retains a body. And his body retains the wounds of his death. And those scars in his body right now tell the story of his love and his power. And those wounded, powerful hands right now are at work reshaping and rebuilding this broken and sin-sick world. And one day that same risen Jesus will look at you and say, why are you weeping? Even as he reaches towards you with nail-scarred hands to wipe away our tears forever... That is no fairy tale. That is what you are looking for. That is what you're seeking. And if you come and see, what you find is that you have been raised with him, is what the Bible says. That you have died with him and you have risen with him and he is the first fruits of the new creation. And even now, you know what you are? You are a whisper of what is to come. That we are this thin blade of light that is now cutting into the darkness. The quote I put in the beginning of our bulletin from Tom Wright, he says it this way, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize the earth with the life of heaven. How could that be? It could be because the life of heaven is now alive in you. The spirit of the risen Christ resides within his people. The power that broke the The chains of sin and death broke the power of sin and condemnation over you and now is alive 
in you. This is why we say hallelujah this morning. This is why we rejoice that Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is risen. You know what that means? It means that your ugliness and your sin does not have the last word about you. Jesus has the last word. And his last words are, it is finished. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. And so that the Father looks at us right now and says, you are my beloved and in you I'm well pleased because you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You are risen with Christ and you are part of his new creation. You see, Mary, from this point forward, her tears begin to dry up and they begin to cease And she goes back to those other disciples, and what does she say? She says these words that are chosen very carefully. I have seen the Lord. I have come, and I saw, and I have seen him. And don't miss the fact that the people in this narrative who are formerly demon-possessed, who are formerly possessed by visions of worldly power and, and worldly grandeur, they become resurrection people. They move into the darkness with the light. Mary becomes the first proclaimer of the resurrection of the second person of the Trinity. They have come, they have seen. It has completely changed the course of their life. And this morning, what we need to know is that he has seen your grief. He sees it. He has met us in it. He has addressed it. He has wept alongside of us. And he has conquered death forever. And what that means for us this morning is that we are now people who are free from condemnation and free from shame and free from guilt so that we might go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. To finish that quote, I started earlier and I'll finish with this. He says, our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, for those of us who know you here this morning, um, we confess that it is hard for us to imagine and believe and understand what has actually taken place in the cross and the resurrection, what it means that we are now people who are um, part of a new creation that you have formed, because often we still feel like we're lost in our tears. And so I pray this morning that we would see Jesus, the resurrected Lord, moving towards us and speaking our name. And Father, for those of of us here this morning who do not know you and who are seeking other things, um, maybe to end their grief and their pain and their confusion, I pray that they would also see Jesus moving towards them and speaking their name. Father, that we might all proclaim that we are no longer what we once were. And we are, no long, we are not what we one day will be. Father, we, we pray for that day to come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.